0: So, we've been doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're taking a break from that today and next Sunday for Palm Sunday and uh, for Easter. Um, Before I read uh, the Palm Sunday text uh, this morning, I just want to exhort you about something and um, remind you about something Kevin highlighted in the announcements um, the Maundy Thursday service and the Good Friday service. It's a busy week, lots going on. Um, But I want you to come. And I'll tell you why. Um, And let me just say, if you can't come, go online, look at the liturgies that are posted there online, and read them this week. Now, why is that? Well, um, you know, one of the critiques, one of the things that people say, talk about, have talked about over the last several months, is that uh, the church in America uh, was ill prepared for the last two years, and um, you, you know, uh, I think I think that's really true. Um, because of just anger, bitterness, discouragement, despair, all of those things that uh, have come at us in waves uh, that have overwhelmed us. I think I'm not smart enough to know all the ins and outs about this, but the reason why I think it's important for you and for me to take the next week to engage with the events of Jesus's passion is because if if your experience of this time and the life of Christ is, you go from the triumphal entry to the empty tomb, the triumph of the empty tomb, you miss the suffering And it's important for us as a church, as we identify who it is that we identify with, to recognize that um, the witness of the Gospels and the witness that Jesus has for us is um, of, of, of suffering, not just suffering, but the pathway to ultimate triumph and to glory is through a pathway that involves the cross. And so I think for many of us, our expectation of what life is and what the gospel brings, I, you know, I, have, I make fun of this guy all the time and I'm unapologetic about making fun of him. I'm gonna preach about humility, all right? I'm not humble about this. You know, I think we would never say we believe this, but functionally, we often live our lives as if that what the gospel is, is that Jesus gives me and the people I love our best life now. Right? And so, um, and, and I think that's kind of a triumphalistic view of what the gospel really brings to us. Uh, and so we fail often to appreciate the glory of the triumph of the empty tomb uh, because we don't uh, we reject the humiliation of suffering and death. And so the value of remembering, uh, Jesus instituting the Last Supper, washing his disciples' feet, being betrayed, beaten, killed, buried, is an essential part of our faith. And it's a forming, a formative part of our faith. And so I just say this uh, to urge you uh, this week. I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot going on. Um, uh, And if you can come Thursday and or Friday, please do. If not, at least read those liturgies that will be posted online just to give you a sense of, um, yeah, of what, a fuller sense of who Jesus is and what it is he's done uh, for us. So that's, that's, you're going to get two sermons today. So that's the first one. Uh, Before I... Uh, Before I uh, pray, or before I read the text, let me pray. Father, we uh, rejoice uh, with uh, the children, and we rejoice with the blind and the lame today. Uh, For they welcomed you, Jesus, there into the temple. I pray that you, uh, as you demonstrate uh, your kingship as a as a, as a humble kingship uh, that we would be moved uh, uh, to greet you even as uh, those uh, people who were often ignored and even rejected from the temple courts. Uh, I pray that you would help us identify with them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace our weakness so that uh, you would fill us with your grace and your strength. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Matthew 21 verses 1 to 17. Text is in the bulletin also up uh, on the uh, the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such uh, this morning. Now when Jesus, uh, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. I've often thought about the owner of that donkey and wondered if he ever got it back right? Um, what would you do if someone said, I'm taking your car, the Lord needs it? It a pretty, uh, pretty interesting uh, thing there, isn't it? This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. It was so heartened this morning to hear that uh, Emily's going to lead uh, your kids on a parade. Love parades. Kids really like parades. We don't. We don't. You know. We don't have many parades, do we? Um, uh, you know, uh, when we first moved here to Richmond, there was a parade uh, down Broad Street every uh, fall. We don't have it anymore. You know why? Because it was the tobacco parade. Tells you a little bit about your hometown. Um, the first parade I ever remember going to, and that's what we essentially have here, is the parade of Passover. I mean, it's just not Jesus coming to Jerusalem. Thousands of people are coming. The historians estimate that the population of Jerusalem swelled 10 times during the Passover week. People are streaming in, excited. Uh, eager to worship, eager to reunite with family and friends to celebrate the Passover together and and to remember the the salvation of God, the delivery of God's people from slavery, from bondage. It's an exciting time. It's the high point of the year. The first parade I ever remember going to, I was five or six years old. And in the little town uh, that was near our farm uh, had a Christmas parade every year. And uh, our town had a blinking light in the square, because, which is kind of funny because it was the only square. It was it, right? The only crossroad uh, there in town. And um, Neil's Drugstore was there. I remember uh, drinking a lot of Orange Aids as a kid, 35 cents at uh, Neil's Drugstore. And so I stood out there on the corner in front of Neil's drugstore with my dad, and my brother, and my mom. And um, I don't I don't remember a lot about the parade except there were a lot of animals because we had you know there were way more animals living in our town and around there than there were people. Um, but the other thing that I remember is you know the high point of a Christmas parade uh, is you know Santa Claus. Uh, so disappointing because. Um, First of all, you know, Santa's sleigh and the parade sat year round behind the Chevrolet dealership in town. <laughs> and so it was always, it was always back there. And so they tried to dress it up a little bit, you know, when they came through town, but that was it. But Santa Claus was the chief of police and, and you could tell it was the chief of police. And so, uh, which as I've thought about it uh, since then, uh, the other two policemen in our town, the only other two policemen in our town, they were in the parade too. So it would have been a great day to rob the bank. (laughs) Yeah, I should write a story about that. But um, I I just remember, but it was still so exciting, even though you got to watch the chief of police dressed up like Santa Claus and uh, you know, everybody was there, and it was loud, and there was all sorts of things going on. One of the things that I, I've come to appreciate about this story this week, as I've studied this and thought about this, is, um, and as we saw earlier in our service today, the primacy of children in the story in fact, as we'll see, um, children, along with the blind and the lame, are perhaps the only people who have a clue about what's actually happening there when Jesus arrives, which I think uh, should be instructive to us as, as we look at this, right? So one of the things that we note about this is Jesus comes to Jerusalem uh, it's quite a beautiful thing. People are cutting down palms, throwing their coats out. Uh, uh, there's singing. There's loud noise. I'm sure there are instruments there. All sorts of things are happening, right? And and one of the things that we see about it is is that it's beautiful, and it's also quite chaotic. We read here that uh, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus of Nazareth, right? So So people are like, the, 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 what's going on? What's all the commotion about? You know, there's the normal kind of flow and the normal kind of parade of pilgrims coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, but there's extra special stuff going on. And Jesus, the arrival of this king, and that's what you do, as we've read from Zechariah chapter 9, when you ride into Jerusalem at the Passover on a donkey, you're telling everybody, I'm the king. And, 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 and first century Jewish people, even the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew that. That's why they don't like it. And so it's quite a party, quite a parade, quite a, a festive day, and, and, and there are some people there are like, who is this, and what's going on, and it's chaos, and uh, there's all sorts of uh, uh, disorder and all, all sorts of things like that going on. You can just imagine the authorities are getting nervous, and it is just an uncertain time, and what's going to happen next, and when you get crowds of people together, who knows, Right? And so as Jesus comes into town riding on a donkey, fulfilling that passage of scripture that we've already read from Zechariah, one of the things that we have to see is he is signaling to everyone that he's the king, that he's the Messiah. But the question is, and the the reality is, that's not so surprising. There was an expectation that there would be a Messiah. There's an expectation that a king would come to Jerusalem to establish, reestablish the throne of David and the kingdom uh, once and for all to its greatness. But what kind of king were people expecting, right? Were they expecting, as the text tells us here, a humble king? Were they expecting a king who would disrupt things, like who would come into the temple and and overturn the tables and and, uh, uh, receive and accept the praise from children only due to God? Would they see a king who had eyes for the people we miss, the unimportant people? You see, I think this is, the, this is a, a very good and very true picture for us of the way Jesus presents himself to the people there in the first century, and he presents himself to us on his way to the cross because the fact is that, that we miss so often the, 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 one of the key attributes of Jesus and one of the things that we find so hard sometimes to wrap our brain around is his humility, that he came as a servant came as a servant a servant king a humble king right but he's also disruptive he overturns the tables and i would say to you you haven't met the humble king jesus if he hasn't disrupted turned over a table in your life right wait a minute isn't there one more disruptive is that it did i get that oh inclusive. You know, one of the things that we uh, think, and, and uh, you know, it would be a mistake for you to think that when we send the children out with the blessing to go to children's worship, you know, we send them out so that now we adults can get down to the important business. We can remove the distraction. We do provide a worship experience for our kids that is helpful and, and makes sense to them. But I wonder if sometimes in the most God-honoring worship, the most honest worship, the sweetest worship, it's not happening over in the chapel or out on the playground. Maybe even the most honest worship, right? And so as we as we see Jesus come into uh, this situation and come into this temple in preparation for uh, Holy Week, it is is quite a scene. So. And the fact of the matter is, as we see here in the text and the way Matthew wants us to understand this, not everybody is happy about this, right? It says here that when the scribes and the Pharisees saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, save us, save us, to the son of David, they were indignant. Not everybody's excited about this humble king. Not everybody is pumped that here comes Jesus into uh, this... uh, uh, uh city and there into the temple it is a uh, is a thing that for many of these folks they can't stand it right so how do we understand what's going on here that jesus would be so welcomed by some and so furiously rejected by his enemies Well, there are two Psalms that I think Matthew and maybe some of the other people had in mind when when, uh, this uh, event occurred. One is Psalm 118. It reads like this, beginning at verse 19, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. You can see why this would be a great Psalm to read as you're coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in us. Save us, we pray, O Lord. In other words, Hosanna. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Because you see what you have to understand about what's going on here is is that part of the drama, part of what Jesus is actually enacting here is he is coming to his own. He's coming there to the temple, the very center of of the nation, the very center of the religious life of God's people. And he is coming there as the cornerstone, as the one to whom all of this has uh, leading up to this for millennia points to and now he's here. And upon that rock, upon that cornerstone, the work of God will be built. The kingdom of God will be built. Upon this rock, Jesus Christ, the work of God is established and it's rejected. That cornerstone, that thing that God is doing, that center, that square, that Thing upon which everything else flows becomes rejected by the people who don't need it, the self-sufficient, the uh, folks who like things the way they are and would prefer no disruption by this coming king, right? And so what you have to understand that's that's going on here is that this whole idea as Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, he knows that he's the cornerstone, and he knows that he will be rejected, and he knows that that is actually the pathway through which his kingship will be demonstrated, and his, his kingdom will come, and his ultimate glory will be revealed, right? But even more than that, we see something unexpected. Next slide. And that comes to us uh, from Psalm 8. Now, if you know anything about Psalm 8, you know that it is a psalm recognizing the, the sovereign power of our God over creation. And that the whole of the earth, the whole universe, the molecules, the, the mountains, the rocks, the birds, the all the animals are spilling forth glory and praise to this creator all the time. But notice what Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And look at this. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Right? Right? That's why when the the scribes and the Pharisees, the priests, they're like, what are you doing? You can't be doing this. Jesus identifies them as the foes, the avengers, who are set against him. And what he says to them is, do you hear those children crying out to me? Do you hear those children praising me? Do you see that? Do you hear that? That's my defense. You are by your indignant rejection of me, have made yourself a foe of the purpose of God. But these children, these children, in their need and in their simplicity, see what's happening, and you're missing it. And isn't it interesting, right, that, that the, the, the language that the psalm writer uses that Jesus refers to here when he addresses the, the scribes and the Pharisees is that you have established a stronghold against your enemies through the praise of children and, and of infants to silence the foe, to silence the avenger. It's remarkable, isn't it, right? Such strong language. Right. So it is these words of children and the very neediness of the blind and the lame that is the defense of Jesus. Next slide. So I, I think I think this is the thing that is so uh, uh, interesting and so profound to me about what's happening here is as Jesus comes to uh, Jerusalem, as he comes there to the temple, there we think what a happy. Excited day it is, and yet there are people there who can't stand what's happening. He goes into the temple and he overturns the tables of the money changers. Now this is a big deal because the uh, Passover is like you know um, Black Friday, right? You're going to make your profit right here, right? You're going to sell the wood for the for the sacrifices. You're going to sell the oil. You're going to sell the animals. But better yet. You can only use a Jewish coin to pay the temple tax, and nobody has those, and so you got to pay the exchange rate to get the coin to do what you're supposed to do. And, and so as you come into the temple, what do you hear? Cash registers. Well, I guess, do y'all know what that is? They don't you have those anymore, right? <laughs> you have the the beep of the the wand on the thing, right, as people are, right? And Jesus sees that and he overturns those tables. Now, what's interesting to me about that is, is um, some of you really, really like angry Jesus. This might be your favorite story in the whole Bible, right? And so that when you find yourself ranting and raving, you can say to yourself, well, Jesus threw out the money changers We even read some places where he made a whip, right? Jesus certainly disrupts in that way, but there's something about the way he disrupts uh, what's going on in the outer part of the temple that attracts children and blind people and lame people. You see, the blind and the lame And the children are in the outer courts of the temple with all this commercial activity. They are not deemed clean enough, good enough to actually enter into and participate in the wider worship of the people of God. Jesus overturns the tables, yes, but he must do it in such a way that even then his humility shines forth because it attracts the humble and the broken. The blind, the lame, the poor, the children, they welcome Jesus. They welcome him. They cry out to him to save them. Humility attracts... And is attracted to humility. I am taking the church staff through an in-depth study over the next several weeks. We've already started it on humility. Why? Because nobody wants it. Right? Because the truth of the matter is... um, The Bible speaks to us. The gospel speaks to us. Jesus witnesses to us humility. And we want to find every way around it. Because truth be told, the way you get humility, the way you get humbled, is to be humbled. The way you get humility in many ways and in many forms is to be humiliated by your own weakness and neediness. Because the humble and the humiliated know their weakness and know their failings and know their limits. I've been thinking a lot lately about this. Two things have jumped out in my mind. I don't know why the Lord has, has, has made me think, think a lot about this. In general, if you were to quiz me, I would tell you that getting older is awesome because one, way, one, one of the reasons why getting older is awesome is I can finally be the old guy driving 10 miles under the speed limit down the road with a hat on his head because I've all my life I've thought, why is this old man wearing a hat slowing me down in traffic? Well, now I'm the old man. So there's some real uh, revenge for me in that. It feels, feels really good. You can have people say to you, as you walk into the church, uh, you look like an extra from the movie, uh, Waking Ned Divine. If you don't know anything about that movie, that's because it's old Irish men. So I look like that. That's good. And you know what? You can embrace that. You feel pretty good about that. When you get older, actually, there are a few people who might listen to you because you've done a thing or two. But the other great thing about getting older is things break. Things break. Um, I have struggled in the last couple of weeks with, um, I run and I can't run because I try to run like I used to when I was 32 and now I'm 62. And so Um, I shut my door in my office now, and I hide in there so no one will see me icing my Achilles tendon down for an hour a day. And I can't give the blessing that I like to give at the end of the service with my right arm because my right shoulder, it doesn't click anymore. That's good when I raise it, which is when your joints start making noises, I can tell most of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, humility is a gift that Jesus is going to bring to all of you if you live long (laughs) enough, right? You too will raise your arm and think, what was that noise next to my ear? Oh, it was my shoulder. doesn't do that anymore, but it's sore. So what I realize about myself in that is, you know, I can't do what I want to do like I used to, I experience lack, pain. Now, what I could do with that is I could be embittered and I could try to cover it up. But the fact of the matter is what I read in this text is the lame and the blind and the children are so ecstatic to see Jesus because they need him. That's one thing I've been thinking about. The other thing I have been, uh, and I don't know why this has come to mind as much lately as it has, but I am certain within the hearing of my voice this morning, there are couples here who are infertile and who are broken by that suffering. And I know, as someone who went through that myself, that the fellowship that you have with Jesus in the midst of that lack and that limit and that pain can be sweet because you welcome him because of your own need and brokenness. And so, as I think about that today, I think my prayer for me and for you is that we would be like the blind and the lame and the children. Because though Jesus can do anything, he tends not to fill the already full or those who would claim that they are already full. And so, as we look to him today, as we consider this thing that he is doing, this work that he accomplishes in this week on our behalf, my hope and my trust for all of us today is uh, that we would see this Jesus for who he is and recognize that he finds humility so attractive. That he finds even humiliation attractive, that he is drawn to it in power and grace and mercy to do things that we would never ever expect. And then lastly, Uh, For those of you who struggle with the slanderous lies of the foe, that you are not enough, that you're a loser, that you're a lemon, that you will never amount to anything, uh, that um, your brokenness is too great even for the goodness and the grace of God, hear these words, right, that Jesus says that the praise on the lips of children, simple faith, is the stronghold of the Lord against the lies and the power of the avengers and the foes. Believe that. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together by using this confession of sin that's printed in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. Pray with me. King of glory, you came to us as true peace in the midst of our warfare, as true freedom to release us from our bondage to sin as true refuge while we languished in a chaos of our own design. Though we know Jesus as sovereign king, we have rebelled just as Israel did long ago. We have negotiated with the enemy by our secret sins and proud skepticism. We have betrayed our heavenly father in our daily refusal of peace, freedom, and refuge. For our treason, you died. For our restoration, you rose again. Draw us close to you in this week that our eyes may catch the vision of your tears and our hearts the wonder of your grace. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. In my anguish, I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation.